there's no separation of mind and emotions. Emotions, thinking, and learning are all linked. Eric Jensen. But what about our feelings? What's the difference between our emotions and our feelings? Have you ever thought about this? And with that introduction, I want to welcome you back to Season 9 of the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, where we cover the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning for schools and emotional intelligence training in the workplace with tools, ideas, and strategies we can all use for immediate results with our brain and mind. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning, and launched this podcast to share how the understanding of our complex brain transfers into our everyday life and results. In keeping with our season theme of going back to the basics, we look back to episode 127 on how emotions impact learning, memory, and the brain. It was on this episode, exactly two years ago, where we first looked at the impact of our emotions on our daily life with the work of neuroscientist Mary Helen Imordino-Yang from the University of Southern California. We first met Mary Helen on our 100th episode, and she shared with us that it is literally neurologically impossible to build memories, engage complex thoughts, or make meaningful decision without emotion. She further explained that 30 years ago, we had no idea that one could study human emotions that emerge slowly over time, such as admiration and awe, and compare them psychologically and neurobiologically with emotions that emerge more quickly, like surprise or fear. Before writing this episode, I had to stop and think deeply about something I've often quoted. I learned this back in my days of working in the speaking industry in the late 90s to be careful about what you think about because it's our thoughts that determine our feelings that cause us to take certain actions that in turn cause our conditions, circumstances, and our environment. If we're going to look at our emotions today, we need to understand the difference between our emotions, our feelings, and the actions that we end up taking because of them. I found a clear explanation of emotions versus feelings from Dr. David Matsumoto. He's the founder of Humantel, who explains that emotions are quick reactions to certain events that may impact our survival. They're unconscious, immediate, involuntary, automatic reactions to things that are important to us, which is right in line with what we learned from Jack Panksepp's seven primal emotions that he mapped out in our brain and taught us that they aren't something we can control. They're automatic responses. Dr. Matsumoto further explains that these reactions include cognitive and physiological changes that help prime our body in a certain way and create sensations in us that we can perceive, which he calls feelings. You can see a diagram of these differences in the show notes that outlines emotions as quick reactions to certain events that are automatic and unconscious, and feelings are perceptions in the body 
that aren't necessarily related to the emotion. Since I'm always looking to connect the most current neuroscience research to improve our best practices, I wonder what I can add to this understanding of our feelings versus our emotions to see if we can gain a deeper self-awareness into why we feel the way we do and what this might mean for us individually in pursuit of our goals. Or to put this simply, what should we all understand about our emotions, our feelings, and how they translate into our life and results? So on today's episode number 287, we'll explore what are our emotions? How are emotions different from our feelings? We'll look at the debate about emotions in neuroscientific circles, looking at Paul Ekman, Carol Izzard, Jack Panksept, and Robert Levinson's theories of emotions. We'll look at using brain network theory to understand our emotions from an early episode number 48. And then some tools, ideas, and strategies available to help us to understand our emotions and feelings. We'll look at how this understanding can help us take better control of our emotions and feelings to change the actions that we'll take so we can stay in better control in difficult situations, thus changing our conditions, circumstances, and environment, or our results. We'll also look at three steps for applying this understanding of our emotions and feelings into our daily life. So what exactly are our emotions? We've talked about our emotions with our recent episode with Lucy Biven from episode 270 and Gabrielle Yuzatinsky from episode 282, who both dove deep into the work of Jack Pangsep, who mapped out the seven neurological circuits found in all mammals. And then we made the connection with our emotions and our childhood with an understanding of Bowlby and Ainsworth's attachment theory. While I do think we've covered Pangsep's work thoroughly, Who's to say that his ideas are correct when philosophers, psychologists, and scientists have been arguing and disagreeing with each other for several thousand years on this topic? I had to go back to my notes from the neuroscience certification course that I took with Mark Waldman, where he taught us that even today, the debate continues in neuroscientific circles. Paul Ekman, who you might know as the deception detection expert or the co-discoverer of the micro-expression and the inspiration behind the TV series Lie to Me, showed evidence that there are six universal emotions, fear, anger, joy, sadness, disgust, and surprise, he called them. Ekman demonstrated how emotions can all be seen in a person's brief facial expression, And we covered this fascinating topic on episode 163 with Dan Hill, the faces guy, on how to read the emotions in others. But Jack Pangsep labeled some of Ekman's universal emotions as secondary emotions, and he called them feelings. Before I get bogged down in terminology, deciphering these arguments, and lost reading this research paper that I found on four models of basic emotions... I thought an easy way to simplify this concept is just to put an image in the show notes that explains the similarities between four models of emotion, and we can make up our own minds on which theory of emotion we resonate with the most. While one will disagree with another, all four list a positive emotion labeled happiness, and that's what Ekman and Cordaro and Izzard called it. Then Levinson called it enjoyment, 
and Panksept and Watt called it play, and three distinct negative emotions, sadness, Panksept and Watt, fear, they all agreed on this label, and anger. So how do we put our emotions into action? If we want to understand our emotions, we can now begin by thinking about how everyone will respond to these emotions in a different way, since we've all had different experiences from childhood and beyond, keeping attachment theory in mind. Think of this example. Suppose we are walking through a forest and something jumps out from behind a tree and we instinctively jump. That's the core emotion of fear that all four models agreed with. Then we see it's a harmless dog wagging his tail and wanting to play with us. Each person will process this situation in an entirely different way. One person will laugh. Another will reach out to play with the dog, while another person will remain upset about the scare for the rest of the night. Everyone will have a different feeling, which is also another model that we'll cover another time. It's another theory of emotion from neuroscientist Lisa Feldman Barrett, who says that our feelings change as we think about our past experiences. Maybe we saw the dog in the morning and we quickly realize now he's harmless. Also, each person will non-verbally express their feelings through their facial expressions, allowing others to read what they felt with the experience, and that's Ekman's work. Finally, if we can regulate the reaction we had and take it a step further and recognize the emotions in the person next to us, we're demonstrating Robert Levinson's theory, who focuses on the fact that our emotions either improve with age or they decline like we see with neurodegenerative disease. So how can understanding our emotions help us? While analyzing the situation of walking through a forest, neuroscience researcher Mark Waldman would say that while the emotional experience often lasts only for a few seconds, some people might ruminate on the negative feelings that came along with this experience to the point that they were diagnosed with depression or an anxiety disorder. This was the person who remained upset about the scare for the rest of the night. He explains that understanding brain network theory comes in handy here because he says that feelings are nothing more than a combination of our imagination mixed with past memories. Knowing that feelings are not real makes it easier to shift our attention away from the feeling, whatever it might be, fear, anxiety, or whatever, and return to being more engaged in the present moment, where he suggests to focus on the positive emotional experiences that are also in our life. Waldman explains that this is the neuroscience of transforming emotions into feelings and feelings into valuable insights, and it has the power to transform our current models of psychotherapy and healing. You can review this powerful concept of brain network theory all the way back to episode 48 with tips on using this model for increased positivity, reduced stress and anxiety, and increase our work productivity and results by learning to consciously shift between your imagination, your default mode network, your awareness, your salience network, and your thinking or central executive network. So to conclude and review this episode on a deeper dive into using neuroscience to understand our feelings and emotions, here are three concepts to help us to put these ideas into action in our daily life. First, 
Remember, our emotions are automatic, hardwired neural responses that we can't control. And many philosophers, psychologists, and scientists have been arguing and disagreeing with each other for several thousand years on this topic. Some argue where they originate and the terminology, but we found four researchers who could agree on one positive emotion, happiness, and three negative emotions of sadness, fear, and anger. But don't forget that while we can't control what emotions or circumstances we'll experience next, we can choose how we'll respond to them. So to put this into action, the next time you feel an emotion, notice what it is. See if you can take this understanding and apply it to learn more about yourself. What makes you happy? Do you savor happy moments? What about the negative emotions? Do you have a strategy to overcome your fears, your sadness, or anger, or a way to feel them and not respond to them? You really can train your brain to recognize and overcome fear. This example I'm going to share is a bit close to the heart as it just happened this week, but it's a good example of why recognizing and overcoming fear is important. So I'm going to include my recent experience here. This week, I was waiting for my oldest daughter to finish her gymnastics practice. Both my girls train most nights, and I pick them up at the end of the night. The other night, I was waiting in the car, and I could see the coach coming outside to speak to me, and this coach wouldn't be coming outside after a long night to chit-chat. I knew something was up the minute I saw him walking to my car. Then it hit me, fear. I felt it because I had just left my desk writing this episode to pick her up, And here I was with my heart racing as I wondered what happened and I wanted the coach to spit it out quickly. I couldn't see her behind him and so now I'm wondering, can she walk? Is she bleeding? Does she have broken bones? I'm trying to figure it all out in my head what the situation was. Then I noticed the feelings come into play. The stomach drops. Next, the physical sensation of feeling sick as my imagination went back to all those other injuries that we see often. And boy, our minds can take us on a trip if we don't learn to focus, think, and stay in the present moment, or use the understanding of brain network theory to stop our default mode network, our imagination network, and switch it to our central executive network to stop those ruminating thoughts from taking over our mind. And this is all happening in seconds, but when it's happening, it feels like a long time. I finally snapped out of it and I asked questions that brought my thinking or my central executive network back on track. And I asked like, what happened? Where did it happen? How does she seem to you? And the fear started to go off into a corner as I figured out that her coach thought she might have a concussion. Did you know that the opposite of fear is understanding? When we understand something, the fear goes away because the thinking brain allows you to take the action needed to resolve your situation. Life experiences like this will happen, and it's crucial to be able to focus and think clearly and move from fear to understanding. Can you think of something that happened to you this week where one of your emotions took over your mind? Where do certain theories of emotion become evident? With my example, I could feel the fear. That's all four theories. I could also read the emotion in the coach's face. That's Ekman and Levinson. 
And even more specifically, I could see the pain on my daughter's face that helped me to take certain actions while under stress. And the second concept I thought was important to cover is how to use brain network theory to bypass our fears by shifting our attention away from the feeling or emotion that we're experiencing, whatever it might be, fear, anxiety, or whatever, and return to being more engaged in the present moment and focus on the positive emotional experiences that are also in our life. We have the default mode network, and it involves imagination processes like daydreaming, creative problem solving, and mind wandering. And this network is important to tap into as it contains our ability for creative problem solving. So it doesn't just contain our worries and fears, but also our ability to move past them. We just need to be mindful of what we're thinking about to prevent the negativity bias from taking over our mind when we get stuck ruminating on negative thoughts instead of positive creative thoughts. Be sure we're thinking positive thoughts so we don't default into this negative cycle of thinking. And this takes practice, but with time, it can become a habit and can be very useful during those times of intense pressure or stress. Did you know that our default mode network is operating at its highest during daydreaming or using our imagination, and then it decreases slightly during mind wandering, it decreases more during creative thinking, and is the weakest during goal-directive thought? So how do we put this into action? See if you can notice yourself switching your mind from the imagination, default mode network, to the central executive thinking network, like I did when I had to stop my imagination from running wild when my daughter was injured, and actually think. What strategy do you have in place to stop your default mode network or your imagination network from taking over your mind? The next time you're in a situation where your emotions are flooding you, whether it be fear like I felt, or maybe anger with a difficult situation at work, see if you can use your central executive network to bring those executive functions like decision making back online. This can be done simply by stopping the automatic negative thoughts, you say stop, and then begin to use your mind to think. Ask questions and then notice your salience network come into play and this will create balance in your brain that's needed in times of stress. And the third and final concept is that our feelings are our reactions to our emotions and we can control them. How do you feel right now? Does this question make you think for a minute? If your feelings don't come to your mind immediately and you've got to think for a second, That's because our feelings are a complex semi-conscious reaction towards our emotions. Or maybe, like we learned from Dr. Matsumoto, they might have nothing at all to do with our emotions, like when we're tired or cold. This is the fascinating area of Mark Brackett's work and his book, Permission to Feel, that we covered on episode 22. The important part of diving deeper into our feelings is to remember that they are shaped by intuitive processes, memories, beliefs, fantasies, and thoughts, and these feelings are then assigned a private, personal meaning that's unique to us. So to put this into action, ask someone to explain how they feel about something, and you might be surprised with the answer they come up with. 
You'll learn something about this person from this question as they dig deep to answer you. Watch them closely to see if they have a difficult time putting their feelings into words because they're complex reactions about their own individual experience. Think about what story did they tell you? What did you learn about the person from their story? And could you see their intuitive process, memories, and beliefs at work? We started this episode by saying there's no separation of mind and emotions. Emotions, thinking, and learning are all linked, from Eric Jensen. But I think we went much deeper than that, proving that our thoughts, feelings, and emotions are all connected. It doesn't matter what we call our emotions or label them, just that we recognize the ones that make us happy and for the negative ones and how we respond to them really does determine the conditions, circumstances, and environment that we'll create in our life. I learned this week that when the emotion of fear came up, I had to overcome it quickly, bringing those executive functions back online to stay on track by not letting my imagination take over my mind. The more we learn to understand these things called emotions and the feelings attached to them or not, the better prepared we can be to deal with life's difficult situations that will come up whether we like them or not. With time and practice, we really can train our brain to move past difficult emotions like fear, worry, and doubt through to understanding, and this will have a significant impact on the outcome of our daily results. I hope you find these concepts to be as helpful and useful in your life as I'm finding them in mine, and I'll see you next week. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com. 